today's rate, you'll need about £900,000 in pension savings. Um, a lot of people are quite below that um, in terms of achieving that. And so in your opinion, why have we ended up um, with this massive uh, gap between expectation and actual reality? Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast talking about things finance and finance related. It's Peter with my co-host Jax. How are hey, you? How's it going, bro? I'm all right, Peter. How, how's, how's your week been? I've been well, been quite chilled, but also um, we're just on the back of the transfer windows in football. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you're a Man United fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. And for yeah. the very first, well, for a, a time in a very long time, I'm I'm smiling about what's happened um, because it's been a great transfer window for Arsenal and a terrible one for United. So it's like it's amazing, man. I've got smiles all around, man. What about you? <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, United are not exactly making me smile at this moment in time, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I told I told someone the other day that you know my my um my emotions to United is is becoming less and less and I would rather invest in my stocks and shares because they keep me happy. <laughs> That's a lovely way to put it, man. As an Arsenal fan, we had 15 years of this, so after about 10 years, I got to that stage. So yeah, I've definitely distanced myself from an emotion. Uh, I understand. Yeah, so I think th- this is going to be one of them. Uh, podcast where we just get straight into it on the back of um some requests from our listeners um in terms yeah. of you know what they want to hear about so yeah just a shout out to all of our listeners as well sending in uh, feedback and sending in um topics that they would like to uh discuss and i guess this is going to be one of them ones where i'm just going to throw the topic over to you and we just have a full-on q a session um, which sure. hopefully our listeners will enjoy. Um, this one is going to be from um, our listeners, and they've asked us to do a session on pensions. Everything pensions, right. of course. Um, we're based here in the UK, so for listeners uh, that are not um, in the UK, um, hopefully you can take some of the, um, I guess, fundamentals from it, but things might vary a bit um, depending on where you are. But we're going to be focusing on the UK um, here. But yeah, so... They literally asked us if we can do a session on pensions um, and, yeah, just gather our thoughts. So, yeah, we're going to get straight into that, if that's all right with you, man. Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, just just a quick disclaimer. We are not financial advisors here at World Finance. We cover financial education. Um, we provide some guidance, but everything we do say, make sure you do double-check the information for any inaccuracies. But we, we do believe that everything we do put out there is of the correct um, information. Um, but, yeah, let, let's go loads of information out there where you can do your own research and get in touch with um advisors etc so yeah absolutely agree um funny enough i was on i was on the um internet just um looking up um pensions just looking up uh some stats um in terms of what people have saved and what are people's um their number and their number and i came across something where it says what is your number it's just 12 percent of under 55-year-olds have set a target for their pension pot, meaning yeah. around 18 million UK adults could be heading for a retirement nightmare. Um, uh, the question, 
question is, and this is probably to you, Jazz, or even to our listeners, are you one of them? Uh, so, yeah, just even before we even get into it, Jax, have you actually got a number? You don't need to say, but have you got an ideal number of what you would like to retire on, whatever that age be? Yeah, I have I have a specific um, number that I'm t- kind of targeting. Um, and that's not even purely just for a pension pot, but it's a general number for kind of retirement as a whole. Mm. Um, but yeah, but also... Um, you know, one of the things I, I believe in also is producing um, income different ways. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be a specific number. I've kind of got a specific minimum number. Let's put it that way. Mm. A minimum number and then everything else is, is kind of a bonus. With that minimum number, when you look at it, what is it, is it going to be able to provide you, if that makes sense? So let's say it's, uh, that number is, I don't know, nine nine hundred thousand pounds how what have you looked at in terms of how that's going to support you on a year-to-year basis and um, from a living lifestyle have you thought that deep around that or is it just a random number that's just come out of anywhere oh, absolutely absolutely you have to have a specific number for a reason and you've got to kind of look at how you expect to live your life in the future mm. um now I'll, I'll give you a bit of a um a, a, num- a specific number that we tend to use in the professional world um, which is the 4% rule. Okay, so the 4% rule is essentially um, a very basic standard rule um, for you to know exactly how much you can live off based on how much you save um, in your pot. Um, and all it says is, for example, if you've got a pot of, let's say, £500,000, you can withdraw from that pot, right, an income to support your lifestyle of 4% and you, and you don't lose your capital, basically. So you can continue doing this over a long period of time. To some extent, they will say perpetuity, um, whether that's true or not, that's down to the numbers and how things go in the economy. But mm. generally speaking, they say you can withdraw 4% from your nest egg and still keep your capital. So let's use some numbers as an example. Yep. If you have a £500,000 pot, and that's your nest egg, you can withdraw 4%. And if, I'm, if my maths is correct, I think that's £20,000. Mm. Um, you can withdraw £20,000 from your um, from your five hundred thousand pounds pot every year and still keep your five hundred thousand pounds pot if that makes sense, and a lot of that is to do with with um, the fact that your pot is invested and it can return a four percent or more than four percent. Let's say returns is seven eight percent return. That means if you withdraw four percent, you still have an additional three percent that grows your capital as well. Make sense. That makes perfect sense. And is that essentially for life then, assuming that every year, you know, that 500 uh, grand is bringing a return of 4% plus? Exactly, exactly. That's the, that's the whole point. So it should be every single year um, into perpetuity, which means forever. Yeah. Whether that's necessarily the case, obviously really does depend on how the numbers do um, and how the, um, the whole investment stock market kind of does over that period. But yeah, that's the kind of rule that we use. It's called a four percent rule. Um, yeah, nice, awesome. Um, and uh, again, I was just uh, looking at some um, more stats to say the average income for people um, that they feel they'll need in retirement to achieve their goal is thirty-four thousand um, pounds. But today's rate, you'll need about nine hundred thousand pounds in pension savings. Um, and at the moment, um, a lot of people are quite below that 
um, in terms of achieving that. And so in your opinion, why have we ended up um, with this massive uh, gap between expectation and actual reality? Um, if I'm honest, I think it's because a lot of people have not been intentional to understand how this all works. Mm. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest issues. There's, there's many issues as to why people don't contribute towards their pension or why people don't even save. You know, that's a whole personal finance issue. Mm. But a lot of it is because people just don't, don't, don't know how to intentionally plan for it. And historically, you know, um, pensions were not kind of mandatory, mm. you know, um, wherever you was working in a workplace and, you know, your workplace had a potential work scheme. Um, a lot of people opted out. I've come across many people that have opted out because they never really understood the main benefits of having a pension account, which are quite, quite, quite substantial. Mm. Um, so the government have actually, or, or yeah, rules have come into place to make it kind of compulsory for everybody to be auto-enrolled um, mm. to kind of solve this issue. Um, and to cut a long story short, it just means that 8% of your salary, which is a combination of your money and your company's contribution, which is minimum 5%, um, will go into your pension pot to kind of help allow you to save for the future. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is because people just don't understand the main benefits of a pension and they don't start investing in a pension pot early enough. Mm. Um, if you do the maths, the whole, one of the best things about investing is, is compound interest and compound interest. For compound interest to work as magic very well, it needs to have time and it needs to have contributions. Mm. So the earlier you start, the better. And the more you contribute towards this pot, the better. And I think both of these things are what have people have not actually, you know, captured. They didn't start early or they're not contributing a lot. Um, and that's, that's, that's probably what's caused a lot of the issue. And people, yeah. Yeah, but... and, and people probably don't even know what, you know, what is required, um, how big the pot needs to be to, to withdraw mm. that kind of income. That number, right? Um, yeah, that number. But if, yeah. you, if, you, if you know what your number is, you can kind of work backwards so just mathematically, if you know you want to live off, off 20,000 or what was the number? 35,000? Yeah, 34,000. 34,000, okay. All you've got to do is divide that 34,000 by 0 0.04, which is the 4% that I've been using. And that will give you how much you need in your nest egg. Mm. And then you can use an investment calculator. If you just go on Google and type in investment calculator or compound interest calculator, you can plug in some numbers and you can see how much you need to contribute Mm. And for what period of time to get to what you need it's about being intentional absolutely and yeah as you said yeah there's definitely lots of calculators online that you can use to play around with that and um you know the it's the time and the contributions over that time is a key thing and you mentioned around people not potentially understanding the benefits of a pension um so yeah let's get straight into that um right from the basics the basic question is you know what is a pension and why use a pension? Yeah. Um, to simply put, a pension is a type of an account, right? Similar to a bank account. It's just an account that you and I can put money into. Um, but the whole purpose of this account is to kind of force you or help you save towards retirement. Because at some point in our lives, we are not going to be able to work the same way we can work right now with the same level of energy. Um, and that kind of stuff. And so at some point in your life, you would want to retire and retire comfortably. However, to retire comfortably, you're going to need some sort of income source, right? And so you can start planning towards that. And one of the best ways to do that is to invest in or put money into this account 
that comes with its additional benefits and so on and so forth. So that's exactly what pension is. You put money into this account. However, it has got its, um, you know, its characteristics. For example, when you put money in this account, you can't actually withdraw the money onto a specific age. I believe right now, um, this, the age is around 57 before you can take money from this pot. Mm. Um, but it, for that reason, it comes with benefits, so some amazing benefits in my opinion. The one and most obvious benefit of a pension pot is its tax efficiency. It is the most tax efficient account that you can have. You can call it a tax efficient investment account because every money that you put into this account is not taxed at all. It's not taxed at source, right? And that really, really helps because that means technically, if you really try and look at the numbers, you almost get a 25% bonus you almost get a 25% bonus if you put your money into this pot, if you were a lower rate taxpayer, right? But even more, if you are a higher rate taxpayer or an additional rate taxpayer, all that money that would have been initially taxed by, you know, when, when you're working and you're unemployed or that kind of stuff, when you take um, your income, your salary, you're normally taxed, right? Mm. If you are a higher rate taxpayer or an additional rate taxpayer, you benefit even further because you get that tax break, right? Mm. So a huge part of, of why pensions are amazing products is that whole tax efficiency. You may have heard of investment accounts such as the Stocks and Shares ads, which is one of my favorite investment accounts. Yeah. Um, very, very tax efficient as well. But remember, the money that goes into a Stocks and Shares ISA has already been taxed, right? The only difference is the money that you make from the money that you've, that's already been taxed, henceforth, is not taxed. So there's no tax on capital gains or dividends and that kind of stuff in a stocks and shares ISA. However, in a pension, the money going in doesn't get taxed at all. Mm. So there's, a, there's an additional benefit. Um, and, and what I like about pensions is because you can't withdraw from this account, it kind of forces you to save and invest and really, really boosts um, the way compound interest can really work. Um, for you. And again, if you started early, for example, I said that, that you can do withdraw from the pension poor age 57. Mm. If you started at the age of 20, or let's say 22, because that's the age you're, you definitely have to be enrolled into a workplace pension, that means you've got about 35 years to save for your retirement, to really, really boost um, the, the way compound interest can work for you. Mm. So that's, those are the main benefits of a pension account. Um, the earlier you start, the better. The more you contribute, the better. It's a way to force yourself to save for retirement and not be one of those people, one of the many people that may not be able to retire comfortably. Hmm. And uh, and that's some really, really good gems as well. And um, you mentioned the benefits around, uh, I guess, tax relief as well and the long-term saving into the pension as well. Um in terms of, you know, when the pension matures or it's ready to withdraw, um, can you take uh, everything out a little bit? What's the thing, the rules around that? Yeah, there's, there's many different options. Now, um, a lot of it depends on what pension we're talking about. But if we're talking about standard personal pension, whether it's a workplace pension or your personal pension, at the age of 55, if you get to 55 before 2028, that's the age 55, if you get to, um, and, and if, you, if you're not 55 by that time, then you have to wait to the age of 57. At that age, 
you can take out 25% of whatever you've amounted to save tax-free from your nest egg, from your pot. And you can do whatever you want with it, basically. Um, and then you, you've, got, you've got other options. There's so many different options. So you mentioned annuity. You can actually purchase an annuity. Mm. You can also um, do something called flexi access drawdown, which means every year, similar to what we were talking about, every year you withdraw um, a certain amount from your from your pension pot as income if you need it. At that age, if you need it, then that's, that's up to you. You can start doing that. Um, you can also just decide to continue investing and not take anything out. Mm. Um, if at the age of 57, um, you know, for example, myself, I plan to have so many different vehicles. I may not want to withdraw from my pension pot at the age of 57. Mm. So in that case, I can keep my money invested. And again, going back to compound interest, the longer I keep it invested, the bigger it grows at a faster rate. I might just keep it in there and just keep investing. Um, but the most common way to, to deal with a pension pot is usually, from what, what I know, is usually the drawdown to slowly withdraw some amounts from um, your from your from your nest egg, um, specific amounts. You can also decide to withdraw bulk amounts if you wanted to. Um, but remember, those once you go past the twenty five percent, then you are taxed at your um, whatever your your tax level is. So if you're mm. a higher rate taxpayer, you get taxed in that way. And um, you mentioned about it depends on what type of uh, pension you're talking about. So we're gonna um, talk a bit about that. But very quickly, you know, when if someone doesn't withdraw from their their entire pension or whatever um, at all, or maybe just draw smaller um, sums of it, what actually happens after that individual has left this earth? Yeah, um, from my understanding, it goes to the beneficiaries. So um, beneficiaries could be your, your, your partner um, or your children. Um, so again, pensions are one of the best ways to really build generational wealth, mm. right? It just doesn't disappear. Um, it, it gets passed on onto your beneficiaries. And I'm, a, I'm assuming if you know, that's more so, we're going to talk a bit about types of pension, but I'm, that's more so maybe if it's your company or your private pension, that wouldn't be for state pension. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This would be a pension that you've got from work or something that you need to set up yourself. A state pension is totally different. Yeah, okay, cool. So on that note, it would be good to uh, go into types of, and I'll probably say the main pensions. I know there's many, many different ones, but the main pensions that the, the average, average person will just sort of come into contact with or may come into contact with. Yeah. Um, so the state pension is probably the one that most people are familiar with. Um, because it's something that most countries have, right? Mm -hmm. And it's provided by the government, basically, um, or the state, hence the term state pension. Um, essentially, what this is, is basically the government looking after you once you get to a specific age, the state pension age. Um, and they will give you a specific amount um, on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis. I'm not exactly sure which one it is. I think it might be monthly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's for you. It's, it's basically um, free money, but there's no such thing as a free lunch in this world. So you have to qualify for it. Um, and how you qualify is you would have had to be a worker, um, obviously paying taxes and that kind of stuff. And the minimum um, amount of years you would have had to work to qualify for um, the state pension from my memory is 10 years. So if you've been working for 10 years and you've been paying tax and nat uh, national insurance, if you've, if you've been paying that for a specific time period um, that you qualify after 10 years um, to get the maximum state pension from memory again I think it's 35 years you have to be 
you would have had to work and um, contribute to your national insurance for, for 35 years to qualify for the full uh, state pension. Now, how much is the state pension? The state pension is about... Uh, Just off, check off. that. It's right now, everything's uh, changing uh, as we uh, speak, but right now the full yeah. new state pension is £175.20 yeah, per week, per, which comes yeah. up to about just over nine grand per year. Exactly, exactly. So that's the, state, that's the full state pension. That's how much, obviously, it's changing as, as we get older, but that's how much you can expect to receive, let's say, if you were retiring today um, and you had been working and contributing to national insurance for 35 years. So that's that's what it is. Um, it's, a, it's it's a state pension. Um, and now, so just to certain, but, but just to confirm, so if someone um, doesn't have any other type of pension and they've been working for their number of years to qualify for the full state pension, essentially when they retire, that's what they will have in full per year, about nine thousand pounds per year. Yeah. Correct, right. They would have had to be working for 35 years to qualify for the full pension of nine yeah. grand. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I know as a common question I'll probably get asked is what if you're, um, what if you're not paying national insurance or what if you're self-employed? Mm. You can actually do voluntary, um, voluntary contributions to your national insurance. Um, I can't remember exactly what class it is. I think it's class three of national insurance. Um, but you, you, I, I would say just be very intentional with, with checking how much you've contributed so far um, to, to qualify for the, for the state pension. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, around those that are self-employed and in the day we're living now, there's more and more people doing great work through being uh, self-employed. Um, so when we get on to the other types of pension, it would be good to ask you a question around that, actually. Sure, sure, yep. Cool. So um, we've got the state pension, and what's um, what are some of the other types? Um, so that, that 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 was the state pension, and the other type of pension um, that you probably come across, obviously, is what we've just spoken about earlier, which was the workplace pension, um, um, and it sits under maybe the term personal pension, mm. um, and it's a pension that's aside and different from your state pension. Um, but as we've just discussed, it's, it's probably, in my opinion, mandatory for everybody to be getting involved. And actually, the government have made it mandatory that if you are working for a company, um, if you're earning nothing over £10,000 per annum, if you are over the ages of 22, then you should be auto-enrolled into your company's pension scheme. Um, and and, and you, you still have the decision to opt out, right? Which, as I said earlier, some people have actually done. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. <laughs> mm. Of course, um, personal circumstances um, may require you to, you know, in a very short term, take some extra income. But generally speaking, I think most people probably shouldn't opt out. Um, but that's that's a, an additional pension. Again, you contribute towards um, either your workplace or you, you can up, you can set up your own pension. And um, you know, at the age of fifty-seven, you can take out um, whatever you've you know, amounted to save twenty-five percent tax-free. Um, but yeah, that comes under personal pension. It could be a pension that's done by your workplace, right? Which majority of people probably fit under the, that category. Or you can actually manage your own pension. You can start your own pension. Um, so you may have heard of um, what we call a SIP. A SIP stands for a self-invested personal pension. Um, and it comes with the same characteristics as your workplace pension. 
Um, the only difference is that you are managing it yourself, mm. right? Um, or you've set it up yourself. You don't actually have to manage yourself, but it's you setting it up yourself. Um, because you can set it up yourself and still have, let's say, an online platform manage it for you. But actually, if you are someone who's self-employed, this is probably a very popular way of, of having a pension for, your, for yourself through your business. Mm. to set up a self-invested personal pension for you, who's the employer of your business as well. Um, so that's another one. Um, and, and, and on that, uh, Jax, I guess, you know, for someone who's self-employed, of course, if you're not employed under the uh, payee system, you're not going to be getting the extra top-up from the employer, which is yeah. essentially free money. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and just going back onto, I guess, employer pension, because I know... Right now, it's great. Um, over the past three years, we've now, um, everyone's auto-enrolled in. So for you to not be receiving workplace pensions, that means you've actually actively chosen to opt out, um, which is just another process and it makes it more, it encourages everyone to stay enrolled in. But I guess the fact that people are um, auto-enrolled in, you see a bit of money coming out. Um, but what what's your opinion on around Yes, you see money coming out, but should you leave it at that? Should you make an effort to increase it if your employer's uh, choosing to match it? As in, what's your opinion um, around that? Yeah, based on question. your experience. Yeah, good question. So um, it comes back to intentionality, right? If that's even a word. But um, you just have you to know be what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know how earlier, very early on in this conversation, we spoke about the number, right? Do we have a specific number that we're targeting? If you know what that number is and you've done the formula, you will know that whether you're contributing enough now or not. You know, how much you're contributing now, is it enough to get to that number, right? It's about sticking the numbers into that formula, mm. uh, what's sticking into the calculator. Now, of course, if you understand the benefits of a pension, the more you contribute, the more you benefit, right? The more you contribute, the more um, tax-efficient um, breaks that you get, um, the more... Uh, mathematically it works in your favor right um so i do you know if if it's it's a benefit it is a it is an additional benefit to contribute more um but it all comes down to individuals and what people are trying to do with their you know their personal finances so for example someone like myself right because i have other investment vehicles outside of my pension um I may, I will still contribute the, you know, the minimum 8% to my pension, which is managed by someone else, even though I still can manage it myself being a professional. Mm. I still outsource it to um, their insurance company. But because I also believe in multiple streams of income and I also believe in having passive income, I may take some of that money from my salary and invest it in other vehicles outside of my pension, Mm. if that makes sense. So if you're kind of interested in buying property, for example, then you may want to do that because there's no caveats. Remember, the caveat is you can't take the money out to your 57, which is good because it forces you to save. But at the same time, if you want to invest in property, you might need a bit more cash. Mm. So it really does come down to the individual. But if I'm really, really honest, from the average person, you probably want to contribute as much to your pension as possible because it comes with that benefit and it forces you to, to save and invest 
Yeah, and, and the reason why I ask that, because I know, as I said, it's great that everyone's automatically enrolled in, but sometimes we might get a bit complacent um, and comfortable with what we're currently contributing. So if we get like a pay rise, for example, we still just keep it at the minimum or whatever it's been set up from five years ago. Um, yeah. and, they, and again, it depends on your personal journey, but I think it's important that we know that number, what we want to be doing when we retire retiring and um, so we don't just get comfortable because if we do and we've just kept the minimum payments and then come retirement age we might be in for shock because yeah. we've been saying to ourselves yeah i've been i've been you know contributing all these years and then i'm expecting something but listen we might be in for a shot. So it's so important we know that number and we're very intentional with what we're doing you have to be intentional you have to be intentional peter and um, I'll, I'll give you a case that I came across not long ago. Um, I worked with a lady, um, just giving her some financial coaching. And she had a pension, but she had never, ever, 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 ever checked it. And what I found from checking her pension is, yes, she was contributing to her pension, but it wasn't invested. It wasn't invested. It was just mm. kept as cash. Mm, um, wow, yeah. yeah I didn't even, I'm not going to lie, I didn't. And is that free workplace pension, do you say? Um, it was, and this is the thing, her pension had been around for many years. She was an older lady. Oh, okay, um, okay. So it's a bit and, different. And of course, yeah, yeah. you know, it depends on what company you work for. Most companies now, because of the new regulations, will obviously invest it on your behalf, yeah. or should, should. Yeah. should, right? Um, but hers was just kept as cash. And, <sighs> After you know, all these years. May, and, and, you know, you've got to compare um, the, what, her, what her nest egg was. Mm. At, at the time where we, we checked compared to the potential gains to the opportunity cost, mm. which means, I mean, we only have to look at what the stock market has done over the past 12 years yeah, to know that she has lost out on quadruple. Wow. Um, so again, it comes down to being intentional. Now it, I'm not going to say it's our fault. Um, she just thought, you know, it's been, well, I mean, you know, she should have been a bit more intentional, but maybe she just didn't understand how pensions worked which is why we do things like this. Mm. Um, but you have to be intentional. You have to check how much your pension is, how much you're contributing, you know, kind of forecast how much it's going to be when you hit that retirement age um, and whether that's enough for you. And if you, are, if you do plan on taking money out of your pension or not taking money out of your pension, I mean, um, not contributing the maximum amount, what is the opportunity cost? That's the key word. What are you doing with that money? If mm. you're just going to take that money and, and spending it, then you are actually just playing yourself. Of mm. course, if you are going to take that money and buy a property, then that's, that's, in my opinion, a good thing to do. But, yeah, you just have to be so, so, so intentional. And, Peter, I want to add one more thing because I don't feel yeah, I've covered course. it. There are different types of pensions. It's very important to understand that. Now, the pensions we've spoken about so far in terms of workplace pensions, we call that defined contributions, right? Um, and essentially all that is is what we've described. You know, you contribute some to your, to your pension, your company, you know, also give an additional um, contribution as well. And that goes and usually gets invested. It normally gets passed on into an insurance company and then they invest it in a fund for you. The other one, which um, maybe some of our older listeners may be aware of is what we call um, the defined benefit scheme, right? Um, and, a, and a very popular type is what we call the final salary scheme. And essentially <laughs> this is, if you've got this by the way, in my opinion, stick to it. Never mm. try and switch it from a defined or final salary scheme to a, um, to, a, to a contribution scheme because that one is basically the company kind of promising to look after you into perpetuity. 
right? You would have worked for the company and what they do is they look at your final salary. That's why it's called the final salary scheme. And they've got a mathematical formula as to how much you earned last. And they will basically give you that amount <laughs> as, a, as an income mm. for, for until, until you pass away. That's a final salary scheme. As you can probably guess, they hardly exist now. Yeah, this is being <laughs> phased out, I guess, over the past exactly, few years. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's been phased out. And I would say maybe 95 of companies do not offer this scheme. Yeah. Um, if you are someone who's an older candidate um, or your parents, if you're a younger listener and your parents might have this, um, just make sure that, again, they are intentional with finding out what's going on with that. Um, and obviously make sure if, if they ever consider trying to change it, I don't think you even can right now without the signature of a financial advisor. So um, just, just, just be aware of that. So that's another type of scheme. And you would have had to work at the company for a number of years to qualify. A number of years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There'll, there'll be a specific formula that, that they use yeah. to, to, to tell you. And, how to and I guess this is part of the reason why we used to hear of back in the days, many people staying at a, the same job for, you know, 15 plus years and stuff. Well, exactly, because it's, it's like a service, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's, it's them rewarding you for such a, a good service and loyalty mm. and that stuff. Cool. There is, there is another question that I get asked very often. Um, so we probably should cover it. Um, and it's to do with having multiple pensions. So actually at the back of yeah, the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people nowadays, especially within our um, generation or our age group, we tend to move around companies. You know, some people move every three years, etc. And for that reason, you probably have multiple pensions. And if you're not, again, the keyword we keep using is intentional. Um, if you're not intentional or proactive, what will happen is you will have a whole bunch of different pensions. You have no idea where they are, how they're performing, mm. et cetera. And so the question is, should I consolidate my pensions? Um, in my humble opinion, I think the answer should be yes. Um, especially if you plan on moving around even further. Now, you don't have to consolidate it right now. I think it's a good thing to do so. If you're going to be intentional and proactive, it's good to see your pensions in one place. Um, and there's various ways to do that. Um, if you know where your pensions are, all you need to do is get the scheme number or the, the, whatever the number is and give it to your new provider or the provider you've chosen to be your, um, your, your main provider for the pension. And then they will do the work um, behind closed doors and, and consolidate it. Um, there costly. are... Is it co- no, no, it's not costly. It's not costly. Um, and, it, and again, it, a lot of these things does depend on, on, the, on the provider that you're using. So mm. part of your job as well is to do the research and see how much it costs and, and shop around. You know, it's the key word we keep using is being proactive and being intentional. Um, yeah. and, and just a random question on that. So let's say you had, you know, three different pension providers because you've worked at three different places and whatnot, um, and you want to consolidate that. And each of those different pension providers, they have about, you know, three grand each. And if you consolidate that, does that then become nine grand into your current prov- uh, pension provider? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So essentially, it's uh, that it's money camper. that was sitting by itself, the two grand just there, um, building up over years, it now adds on to the nine grand, um, and then that continues building together. That continues building according to the new schemes we want to try to achieve. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And, we'll, uh, you know, should one be doing this every time they move to a new provider, or every five years, every 10 years, or? 
It's up to you. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, how you want to um, manage your your money, it, and it does depend on who you are as a person. So, if you're someone like myself, I'm probably you, Peter. I'm quite um, intentional with looking at our finances often, looking at our budgets and that kind of stuff. Then, you know, you, you, you can decide to not consolidate it because you know where everything is. Mm. Um, but even then, you still want the peace of mind potentially just to have it in one place. Um, and the way to do it is, you know, there's there's different things you can consider. Um, usually, I think the most important thing to consider is probably the fees right because different pension providers have different fees if it's invested in a fund that fund has fees so you need to know what the what the, um, the expense ratio is or what the total fees for certain pension providers are and maybe go with the cheapest one right or if, if you're someone who's a professional like myself and you wanted to manage yourself which i don't usually advise for most people um you can consolidate it into a sip like i mentioned earlier and manage it all yourself so I know people that have um, a SIP on Hargreaves Lansdowne, their investment platform, and they've consolidated their pensions to all go into this SIP and they manage it themselves. But even when I say manage it, they're not managing it by buying individual stocks. They've probably just bought a target retirement fund. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, that's something they've done. You, you mentioned um, looking at fees as well. In your opinion, what are some of the other important uh, things to look for when choosing um, a pre- a pension provider if you have the choice to yeah i mean that is a, probably the most important thing um because what you find is a lot of the pension um, providers invest in similar similar things but i would say um obviously look at the um the where your money's actually invested mm. right so a lot of the um schemes will be invested in a fund a type of fund um so for example my pension um is with with aviva right and I've looked into where it's invested. It's invested in a fund called Futures World Fund or something like that, right? So you can be intentional and looking at the fund and say, do I like what the fund is really about? Um, you can even di- take a di- deeper dive a look into what assets are in the fund if you wanted to and see if you like it. Um, but for, for the average person, that, it probably doesn't mean much to you <laughs> if you look inside the fund. Yeah. Um, so honestly, it really does come down to other things like, um, you know, the company, you know, do they have a good customer service? Um, do you like the interface? Um, but ultimately, the, the simple answer usually just, just comes down to the fees because a lot of these funds or investments are invested in the same things, if mm-hmm. I'm really honest. Um, so the fees really does come into play because remember, fees might seem like a small difference. So you may get a fund that's charging you uh, a 0.45% fee, Another fund that's charging you 0.75%, that's only a 30, what's the math? Yeah, 30 basis points, 0.3% um, difference. And to the average minds, that seems like a very, very tiny difference, right? It's not even a percent difference. But when you do the maths and you look at the compounding effect of that fee, you realize that they become really substantial over a long period of time. Mm. So for me, I think that's the most important thing. Really pay attention to the fees. Cool. And you, you you know, from what I'm getting so far, we've spoken a lot of things about um, the importance of using time to your advantage and being intentional and um, with your contributions and um, checking your pots, what's there, um, looking at your pension providers. Um, how? <clears throat> so for people that are on a, on a workplace pension, um, let's say they just go online and a lot of pension providers allow you to obviously be registered and you can just check online. And um, when you check you know, where they actually invest in your money, how important is that? And um, what can you do with that information? 
as you said, a lot of places invest in the same thing. But yeah, how, is, how, how important is it to an individual to know where the pension uh, provider is investing your money in and what can you actually do with that information? Yeah, I mean, as I said, most of the, these providers will invest in similar types of funds. So the funds will have similar objectives. Mm-hmm. And the way they work is um, they will basically invest in a fund that understands where you are at in your investment kind of journey. And, uh, you know, the younger you are, the more risk you should be taking. And then as you get older, um, it takes less risk because it knows it's approaching um, your retirement age. The truth is with that information, um, there's not too much you can do except understand basically what's going on with your pension. Um, But, you know, if I'm really, really honest, again, it all just comes down to the fees because most of these funds will just have a similar type of um, objective and that kind of stuff. Um, if you don't like where it's, where it's invested right now, um, you can have a conversation with your pension provider, um, to see if you can invest in something else. Um, and if you, if you don't have that optionality, then you can decide to move your pensions, um, into like a SIP and invest yourself. Right. Mm. So a big part of, um, you know, in the professional world, or those that are really, really involved in the personal finance game, there's a huge debate now. Um, as to whether you should invest in a target retirement type of fund, which most of these pensions are, or whether you should just invest in a well-diversified fund, for example, the S&P 500, right? Just to give a bit of education on that, the S&P 500 is a basket of equities. It's a basket of assets. The largest 500 companies in um, America, it's, it's, it's shares, buying shares in the largest 500 companies in America, right? And it only captures one out of the five asset classes, so the one is equities, which is the most risky asset class, but over the long term, it provides you with the highest return. And then you've got um, other asset classes like bonds and government bonds, and you've got um, real estate and, and, and money market instruments. You probably won't find that in the S&P 500. You won't find that. But in a target retirement fund, they will have a mix, right? And one of the very rules of common rules of funds is they'll look at your age, for example, Peter, let's say we're both like 30 years old, for example, um, and they'll say, whatever your age is, that should be your allocation in, in bonds and um, the rest should be in equities, for example, okay? So then there'll be 70% in stocks and shares and equities and then 30% in bonds. That's just a rule of thumb. However, when you look at the maths and, and look at a long period of time, you may think, you may realize that actually over a longer period of time, it would have probably been more useful to be 100% in equities right? Because equities are more risky, but it provide you a higher return. The trade-off, right, is if you are in the target retirement type of fund, they know that as you get closer to retirement, they're going to change your asset allocation to be more in a less risky asset. So it will, it will change more to be in bonds, for example, or other money market instruments and less in equities. So if you are very, in, if you're not very intentional and you just want to outsource and just kind of set it and forget it, you probably want to be in a target retirement fund because the fund manager knows what he's doing and he's going to change your asset allocation for you. Mm. If you're more intentional, right, and you kind of check your pension yourself, you can just go into like a 100% equities now. And as you get older, you can make that decision to yourself as to whether you want to reduce risk and that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where the... Hope because pensions can seem like a boring thing, but this is where the fun can also come into it as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Like, you know, if you want, yeah, I mean, I get people that say, you know what, I might as well just take my whole pension and just uh, uh, 
100% equities fund. Mm. Um, because what, the truth is, if, if you do that over a longer period of time, I, I can probably bet to some extent that your returns will probably be higher than someone who sticks it in a target retirement fund. Yeah. As I said, there's, there's, there's a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. The trade-off is um, risk. It all comes down to risk because, I, um, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, um, I guess with a target retirement fund, let's say you, you've um, put it to mature in the year, I don't know, 2045, and that's when you plan on retiring. Of course, by then with the retirement fund, it'll be less in equities and more in yeah. uh, lower risk um, assets such as bonds, etc. But yeah. you may realise that by the time, let's say you're 30 and you've set up, but by the time you're around 50, 50 you've realised, wait, um, when I'm retiring, I think I can actually take on more risk. I don't mind it. I don't, exactly. mind, I don't mind taking on a risky lifestyle. But because this retirement fund is going to shift in terms of asset allocation, you might realise perhaps I shouldn't have, not shouldn't have, but it, does that make sense? So perhaps I yeah, should I have just used the standard, yeah, standard um, retirement uh, pension rather than a target fund because I want to have more risk when I'm 60. I can afford it. I've got other avenues of income all of that jazz. So it's interesting about how you think and approach these things. Exactly. And, and as you said, this is what makes it more interesting and more fun because you can be, you know, I mean, if you don't want the fun, you can just set it and forget it, right? And just let an insurance company do it for you. Yeah. But if you are someone who's a bit more flamboyant, <laughs> then you can, you can, um, you know, you can, and as I said, you can even manage it, you can even manage it yourself if you wanted to, yeah. you know, um, which, which, which is fun. Um, but for the average person, guys, I would say, you know, be careful uh, because there's a lot of psychological battles when it comes to investing. Uh, you may say, oh, I don't need this. I'm not going to touch this money for another 30 years. Mm. Let me just go buy a whole bunch of penny stocks. <laughs> <laughs> but life happens, right? So, I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Um, so it's important that, yeah. And, you know, again, this also comes back to not having all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. You exactly. might have yeah. a target um, time at fund here and you might have something else going on here as well. Exactly, exactly. I mean, pensions are the best products for for, for retirement, full stop. Yeah. Um, but I would also um, urge people to be intentional with generating multiple streams of income. Mm. So especially passive income, you know, properties is, is a very popular type of income source. You get people, so you get some people, actually, it's a good question that I get asked often. Some people ask me, can I not just have, kind of just rely on my property income as my, you know, as my... um. My, my main pension provider. Make sense? Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. Uh, on that, actually, funny enough to mention, I was going to get you to comment on some of uh, some statements I've got. And one of them, the statements is that um, that you often hear, my house is my pension. Ah, okay. Good one. Good one. So, <laughs> my house is my pension. Is that is that a phrase? <laughs> that's it. That <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's a very uh, interesting uh, phrase. I think that needs to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> My house is my pension. Um, that's dangerous. That's a very dangerous route that person is going. 